The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. A little bit early I am today. Normally this pod drops on Thursday mornings, but it's dropping on Wednesday evening. Why? Because you're getting Breaking Bruce tonight. Breaking Bruce is what I would call my show If it was a breaking news sort of a podcast, the alliterative qualities are too much to ignore. Everyone loves a good alliteration. They chuckle and they say, oh, that's clever. Breaking Bruce. It's fun to say. Things being fun to say is a really important part of titling from a marketing standpoint. For those of you out there who are in marketing, I'm sure you know what I mean. So it's free agency, ladies and gentlemen. The Bills have started to make moves, and that's what we're going to talk about. So the title of today's podcast is Free Agency Do's and Don'ts, and it is a philosophical podcast at its core, much like the Book of Bruce earlier this offseason, and much like the pod that I did on the Appeal to Authority. But before we get into that, there have already been moves made by the Buffalo Bills that we need to talk about. The first one is the release of John Brown and Quentin Jefferson. And on top of that, the pay cuts taken by Mitch Morse and Vernon Butler. None of these are a shock to anybody. None of these came out of left field. When you looked at the amount of money that could be saved by the release of these players, you think to yourself, okay, obviously we know it's a possibility, I mentioned my preference was to extend John Brown for one year and utilize that extra year to lower the cap hit. However, I also mentioned that my first cut for this team, and the most obvious one in my opinion, was Vernon Butler. Would I have preferred 
Vernon Butler to be cut instead of Quentin Jefferson? Yeah, absolutely. Is there a chance the Buffalo Bills approached Quentin Jefferson with the same level of pay cut and Butler accepted it and Jefferson didn't? Sure, that's a possibility too. There's lots of things that go into the whys. Why did they not extend John Brown and cut him instead? Why did they not give Quentin Jefferson a pay cut? Well, maybe he didn't accept the pay cut. Maybe they didn't even offer a pay cut. Maybe they decided that they were comfortable with Justin Zimmer as the backup three tech behind Ed Oliver. And they were happy with what they got from him. And they thought, hey, Vernon Butler gives you both three tech and one tech sort of versatility. I would argue he didn't play either one of them overly effectively. Or maybe it's simply a matter of familiarity. And I understand that the fact that Vernon Butler stuck around on a pay cut and Quentin Jefferson didn't kind of brings up the old, oh, he was a Panther narrative for sure. And I want to direct you to a specific almighty take that I received recently that is about this and this alone. Evan says, great podcast, Bruce. I really liked the, I, you think you're smarter than the team. Logical fallacy one from last week. Philosophy plus Bill's football is a perfect match. I have an almighty take that I hope is very incorrect, but with the release of Quentin Jefferson and the apparent endorsement, quote unquote, of Vernon Butler by not cutting him, I fear that Brandon Bean and possibly Sean McDermott have a potentially fatal blind spot of seeing Carolina Panthers alumni with rose-colored glasses. I might be wrong, and with the $182.5 million cap for 2021, Bean might be a wizard and sign an all-pro defensive line with the money saved from Jefferson and Brown. All on one-year vet minimum deals looking like a genius. I'm going to have to wait and see. An aside, I am tickled that there's another person with the Evan Baxter pseudonym carrying my mantle while I work during the locker room live podcast. Maybe I should go back to my real name since many of my local friends are ready to bail on their aging quarterback and underperforming team. I probably just gave away too much info for the FBI. So I understand this line of thinking quite a bit. And the reason I wanted to bring this almighty take up is because it relates to the moves that were just made. I'm not sure if it's necessary the Panther thing. I don't know if it's necessarily the Carolina Panther thing. I think it's more the familiarity thing. Not the Panther thing, the familiarity thing. I think that having people you know is really important. For a team that prides itself on locker room chemistry, having people you know is always good. And having people where you know how they're going to react is one of the reasons why they were comfortable giving Starla Tulay such a big contract. It might be one of the reasons why they chose to pull the plug on Quentin Jefferson and keep Vernon Butler. They know Vernon Butler. They've known Vernon Butler longer than they've known Quentin Jefferson. Yes, they both arrived on the Buffalo Bills at the same time, but Eric Washington has been with Vernon Butler for years. Brandon Bean scouted him. Sean McDermott was his defensive coordinator. They understand Vernon Butler. So I don't think it's necessarily a Panther thing. I do think it's a familiarity thing. But as I mentioned already, it might be a Quentin Jefferson didn't take the pay cut and Vernon Butler did thing. So without doing more, I'm not comfortable saying they erred or deferred to the Panther, but it seems reasonable based on the preponderance of the evidence that they do prefer people they know. And that makes sense. That makes sense for people who value the things that they value. If you value culture so much that you think that one or two bad apples can spoil the bunch, then you're going to be risk adverse when it comes to 
personality types. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be choir boys. Brandon Bean has said that. But if you're asked to pick between A and B and you know B, B is a known quantity and A is a known quantity, but maybe a less known quantity, then perhaps you might just go ahead and take B. So that's the Butler and Jefferson thing. I would have preferred they left Quentin Jefferson completely alone and cut Vernon Butler. That's what I would have preferred. However, they didn't prefer that. The Buffalo Bills decided to go in a different way. And that's okay. That's completely fine. I feel like we didn't get to see Quentin Jefferson at his absolute maximized for a very logical reason that would have been fixed in 2021. With the return of Starla Tule and with Harrison Phillips being another year removed from his injury, we wouldn't have needed to play Quentin Jefferson there. And I feel like he would have had a more significant opportunity to be maximized than he was in 2020. That's what I think. They thought differently. So that's the Butler and Jefferson maneuver. Then there's the John Brown maneuver. Brandon Bean talked about this at the combine last year, where if you have a rookie player and maybe he's not able to unseat the veteran in his first year, but he gets some playing time, they feel good about it. And then you can let the veteran go and invest somewhere else. He talked about that at the combine. And that is almost exactly verbatim what happened with Gabriel Davis and John Brown. I don't think Gabriel Davis is ready to be the wide receiver two of this team. There were too many games last year where he reminded us that he was a rookie. I don't think it's a slam dunk. I think what you're doing, if you want Gabriel Davis to be wide receiver two, is you are assuming improvement. And we do that all the time as fans. We assume improvement. And that stuff sometimes happens. And sometimes it doesn't. You can't assume it's not going to happen, but you also can't assume it's going to happen. So neither one of those scenarios is really necessarily bright. You can't assume it's going to happen. You can have reasons for it, reasons against it. But we have assumptiveness built into fandom of that young players are going to improve. And young players very likely could improve. And development's a big part of that. We've talked about Dawson Knox all the time. And I've outlined reasons for you why I think he has a chance to improve. But I still want to sign a free agent tight end, albeit a lower level, because I don't want to assume he's going to improve. And I feel like that's what we're doing with Gabriel Davis. We are assuming he will improve to end up being a wide receiver two on this team. And he might. But I'm not of the opinion he was there yet. So I would have preferred to make sure we kept John Brown to hedge against that. If you'll notice, many of my roster philosophies personally are about hedging against risk. It's risk management, insurance policies. It's about divvying up risk and spreading it out. Having a plan for likely probabilities that are negative. Because I don't want to plan for nothing bad to happen. I also don't want to plan for everything bad to happen. But you've heard my discussion about backup quarterbacks. There's a reason why I care about the backup quarterback position. I think there's a very reasonable chance that at some point Josh Allen gets hurt and is down for three games. And those three games could matter a lot for this team. So you kind of know what you're going to get with Bruce. I don't like relying on the idea that a second year, fourth round pick is going to improve enough to be a wide receiver two on this team 
as an outside player. And if he doesn't, the offense has a chance to take a step back. That's what I don't want. I don't want to assume that that's going to happen. And that might be what's happening. Or they could sign a receiver, in which case they will have hedged it and I'll feel better about this. And that brings me to an interesting point before I even get started with any of my free agency do's and don'ts. And that's something I was talking about on Twitter because thankfully I had somebody bring this up. I had somebody bring it up to me on Twitter and I said, you know what? I'm really glad this person did that. There are personnel moves that have intrinsic value and we do not have to wait for the value to be manifested to have a judgment on it. I use the example of trading a player for picks all the time. If I trade Josh Allen for a sixth round pick, I do not have to wait to see who that sixth round pick becomes in order to think it's a bad move. The reason why I use a sixth round pick is because Tom Brady was a sixth round pick. I don't have to wait to see who that sixth round pick becomes to make sure it's not Tom Brady before I have a judgment on that. Why? Because draft picks have intrinsic value in addition to having manifested value. They have value just by the sense of what they could become and what they are probable to become. The probability is a sixth round pick might be a four-phase teams player for four years of their rookie deal and then walk. That's a successful sixth round pick. In most cases, that's the best case scenario for a sixth round pick. There are obviously exceptions to that rule, but just look across the six round picks in the NFL every single year. It's rare that they're good. And if you traded Josh Allen for a six round pick, you'd have to get a franchise quarterback who's better than Josh Allen for that. So I'm allowed to be upset about that move. I don't have to wait until the end. I just have to be upset about that one thing. I'm not saying we're all stream of consciousness by any means. But things have intrinsic value in and of themselves, and I'm allowed to evaluate that particular move, and so are you, for the intrinsic value that they have. If you take a player in the second round, and I go, ah, man, you know, I really liked these other players on the board. I don't have to wait until the draft is over to say I really like those players that were on the board in the second round. Now, if I freak out and say, they're never going to draft a corner, and then the next round they come and draft a corner, then yeah, I freaked out too much. Because saying this phrase, they're never going to draft a corner, is pretty extreme. And it's based on the entirety of the draft when the entirety of the draft hasn't happened yet. But certain things have intrinsic value. And I can just judge them based on their intrinsic value. So draft picks, in my example, have intrinsic value. Players and money have intrinsic value as well. So I can think, man, I thought Quentin Jefferson was the fine value at his cap hit. I don't think the Bills should have cut him. I'm allowed to say that without seeing how they spend the money that they utilized on him. If they end up getting better or worse value with those dollars, then I can have a secondary opinion. But I don't have to wait to see what they use the money on before I'm allowed to have an opinion on whether or not I think that that was appropriate value because that's in and of itself a value proposition. Then there'll be a new value proposition once they spend the money, which could be better or worse than that. Roster moves have both intrinsic value and manifested value. 
have an opinion on both of them. One with current data and one with hindsight. And that's okay. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to do some free agency do's and don'ts. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Free agency, do's and don'ts. We've already talked about a few of them already with the intrinsic value and the manifested value. We've already been through that. We went through what the Buffalo Bills have done so far. There's going to be more. In fact, by the time you listen to this podcast, if you listen tomorrow morning, which would be Thursday, the 11th, there might be more news. You might get another breaking Bruce. You never know. Anthony Marino and I could tag team it the way we did when Tredavious White signed his extension because I was like, oh, please have me on for that pod. I want to talk about corners, please. (laughs) So free agency do's and notes. I have a list of some things that are my guiding philosophies for free agency that I have actually written down that help me remember to keep my cool and to act logically. And I'm going to share them with you. The first one, do care about value. Why? Because it comes into play later, even if it doesn't come into play now. Players are available for a reason. The tolerance for negative value on contracts is going to be lower this year than it's probably ever been. I talked about that before on this podcast. So the, I don't care, it's not my money, I'll never use that. I'll never say that. And the reason that is, is because next year and the year after that, it's going to matter. The players that are currently being deemed as bad value and being cut by the NFL all over the place, you ever notice that none of them are rookies? None of them are on rookie contracts even. They're all higher value veterans. So yeah, it matters. Because if your team experiences a cap crunch, they're going to be the first ones to go. And if they were signed for a more value deal, they probably wouldn't be. So yes, value matters. So do care about value. Don't only focus on average annual value. Don't use that as the only thing that determines value. It matters, 
But when the team can get out of the contract with what savings and what dead cap is very, very important. Listen, average annual value matters the most if the player sees the entirety of the deal. In a lot of cases, the player doesn't see the entire value of the deal, which means the average annual value is then lessened in importance every single year that the player didn't see of that deal. So if you see three years, 30 mil, might not be three years, 30 mil, might be one year, 12 and a half mil, and then we'll see. So average annual value matters. But it matters more if they see the entirety of the contract, which means the shorter the contract, the higher tendency it has to matter. Because the shorter the contract, generally speaking, the more likely the free agent is to see the entirety of the contract. So do care about value, but don't focus on only average annual value. Do understand that teams draft for need and roster construction purposes all the time. General managers say best player available all the time, all the time. And sometimes picks are BPA picks, but they draft for need all the time. So, well, who are we going to pick at 30? Best player available. Maybe, might, or you might draft for need, which is what a ton of teams do. Brandon Bean has said the Dane Jackson pick was about finding someone who he thought has a chance to make the roster based on your current roster construction. And then other times, it was a BPA pick. He mentioned the Jake Fromm pick as being a best player available pick. Free agency impacts draft decisions 100%. So do care about value. Don't focus only on average annual value. And do understand that teams draft for need and roster construction purposes all the time. Don't freak out when nothing has happened in the first 12 hours. Every year we see it. We see a meme with a dude poking a Bills logo saying, do something. And it's been 12 or 13 hours into free agency. It takes time for this stuff to happen. In fact, this stuff has a tendency to kind of spark up sort of quickly. If you listen to Brandon Bean talk about the Stefan Diggs trade, it all went down in a couple hours. From we don't know if we're going to even be interested in it to the deal is done in a few hours. Which means there's no need to freak out if something hasn't happened in the first 12 hours. Do understand that misses are very common. The people being cut, as mentioned, the people being cut, a lot of them are free agent signings. Also, the Bills cut candidates they're free agents. Quentin Jefferson was a free agent last year. Vernon Butler was a free agent last year and took a pay cut. Mitch Morse was a free agent two years ago, took a pay cut. John Brown was a free agent two years ago. They were free agent signings. So misses happen all the time. So we don't need to go back and try and defend every single free agent as if it was a great signing. Sometimes they were great. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they got appropriate value. Sometimes they didn't. But misses happen all the time in free agency. And this brings me to my last point. So we have do care about value. Don't focus only on average annual value. Do understand 
that teams draft for need and roster construction purposes all the time. Don't freak out when nothing's happened in the first 12 hours. Do understand that misses are very common and do value draft picks appropriately. Why am I talking about that now? Because free agency season is also trade season. So you don't want to overvalue draft picks, but you also don't want to undervalue them either. This is the way I generally view it. People signed via free agents have the lowest floor and the lowest ceiling. Why? Because you're paying them market money. You paid them market money. Draft picks, on the other hand, draft picks, on the other hand, have the highest floor and the highest ceiling. The highest floor and the highest ceiling because of the cost. Remember, value is what you get versus what you give. And in one case, you're giving market value. In the other case, you're giving a rookie draft pick, which is always crazy cheap, even for first round picks. It's always crazy cheap relative to that same player or that same position on the open market unless you draft a punter in the first round. If you draft a punter in the first round, then they become the highest paid punter in the league immediately. But as a general rule, that person's an under-market contract relative to what a free agent at their position would likely make. And as such, the highest floor comes from a draft pick. Why? Because if they bust out, at least they bust out cheaply. And the highest ceiling, because if they hit, they hit cheaply. And now you've got a great player on a rookie deal, which is the best value in sports. In general, free agents, on the other hand, have the lowest floor because if they bust out, they're busting out at a more expensive level than draft picks. And if you hit, that's great, but you're still hitting on someone who's being paid like a market player at their position. That's one of the reasons why in my book of Bruce that we talked about, one of the archetypes of free agents that I look for is people who you can buy low on because then you have a chance to get better value if they hit people like Jordan Porter, people like Micah Hyde, people who are hurt, people who are playing behind an all pro, perhaps someone who can play above their market contract because then you have really good value. And this goes back to the first point, which is care about value. So draft picks have the highest floor because if they bust out, they bust out cheaply and the highest ceiling because if they hit, they hit cheaply. However, Free agents have a lower probability of hitting the floor because they're a known quantity. Draft picks have a higher probability of hitting the floor because they're a not known quantity. So those two things have to be balanced. Known quantities matter. But if they were known quantities that had a high propensity of being a massively impact player, they probably wouldn't be available which brings you back to the trades. So all of these things fit together. Things acquired via free agency, things acquired via trade, things acquired via draft pick. All of them have a place, but every single time you are looking at an acquisition, whether through free agency, whether through trade, whether through draft picks, you're looking at value, 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 value. So we should make sure that we value draft picks appropriately and not try to do things that are improbable. Carl Lawson 
is a great example of this. I don't think there is any chance of Carl Lawson becoming a top five pass rusher in this league. Zero chance. Which means if someone wants to offer him a contract for $20 million a year, he can have it somewhere else. It's not good enough to just say sign Carl Lawson. It's sign Carl Lawson for what? It's not good enough to say sign Kevin Zeitler. Sign Kevin Zeitler for what? You have to have the numerator and the denominator. So I want Carl Lawson. If I can get him for $8 million a year, sign me up. If I can get him for Jerry Hughes money, which is 10, sign me up. Because I think he can be just as good as Jerry Hughes. But it's about value. Because if you end up overpaying somebody, that's the same player that you're going to go back to and look for money in that player's pocket two years from now when you need it. Or you're going to cut him. And you're going to accumulate dead cap. That's going to impact your ability to get better value on the next guy. And so on and so forth. Value matters. So, those are my do's. Those are my don'ts. That's the free agency primer. It's not talking about free agents at all. My free agency primer is primarily philosophical based. Let's do it. If you have not done so already... Make sure you go and subscribe to the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel because we've got a lot of content coming your way. I know I've been beating you over the head with it, but it's because of how highly I think of the content creators we have doing that work. I think so highly of them that I don't want you to miss out on that content that is very, very, very good. So make sure you've done that. Also, rate, review, subscribe to Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.